Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Welcome to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and basis opinion. Today is April 13th, 2016, and this is April episode 159. It's a Wednesday. Get used to it. My name is Scott Magnus. I'm here with my big boy, my color commentator, Jake English. You can find us over at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can also check us out at baltimoresportsreport.com. Check us also on BaseballTalkRadio.com where you can catch a bunch of other baseball podcasts if that's your thing and you're just looking to do something to get through work on a daily basis. Third-party platforms such as Stitcher, Miro, Double Twist. Check them out. Also check out iTunes. Rate the show. Review the show. That certainly helps us out. Check us out on social media, on Facebook, and on Twitter at BirdseyeViewBAL. With that, drink of the week. Jake, what are you doing this week? My drink of the week is absent. Mm. It's been, uh, you know, it's been a, a, a wonderful week of Orioles baseball. I don't want to sully it with, no, I just didn't stop at the store on the way over. Gotcha. You're, so your drink is orange Kool-Aid, basically. It is indeed. It is indeed. We'll get around to orange Kool-Aid a little bit later. Uh, my drink of the week is going to be a Tullamore Dew Irish Whiskey on the Rocks. There's a reason we're doing this podcast on a Wednesday, and it's because work has reared its ugly head into our lives and has interrupted Orioles baseball. My apologies to all of our audience members. With that, my apologies once again for this being played on this podcast. All right, it's the medical wing. So big news in the medical wing, of course, is going to have to be the Adam Jones ribcage injury. Yeah, not an oblique. Not, not an, an oblique. oblique. Not an oblique, but a ribcage injury. Um, Jake, what do you think about this whole situation with Adam Jones kind of coming in as a defensive replacement and not just immediately going to the DL? Well, I think that this is the time to be without Adam Jones. And when the rest of the team is basically going gangbuster. Yeah, this the season is not on the line yet. Um, you know, if this were to happen in the middle of the season or the end of the season, I would completely understand trying to keep Adam Jones on uh, in as many ballgames as possible. But they can do without Jones. And apparently the only time that it, it hurts him is when he swings the bat. And so they haven't been pressed into a situation where they have to make a move. And with such a hot start, it also hasn't hurt them either. Mm. I don't think a DL move really would have improved their their uh, play over the, the beginning of the season. So, I don't know. The real question is, when he comes back, is he going to be back or is it going to linger? Right. And the beat writers posted today saying that Buck was going to try to get him into the lineup uh, when he was down in Texas this weekend because warmer temperatures, 
Boston certainly hasn't been getting great weather. And then this past weekend in Baltimore wasn't great weather either. Kind of makes sense not to try to push him. Um, but yeah, we'll see what happens this weekend with Adam Jones. Here's an unpopular opinion. Yeah. I think it's actually pretty good. I, I think, you know, Jones is, he's not an old guy. Don't get me wrong, but he's getting older and he's been nicked up the last couple of years. Aren't we all getting older? We are. Aren't we all? I think that having him old man Machado out there at third base, do a, uh, do a gradual, uh, entrance into the 2016 season may leave him fresher at the end of the season. And I think that's not necessarily a bad thing for the Orioles. So it's like pouring your toe into like the hot tub and being like, oh, 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 too hot. And you just kind of inch your way in slowly but surely. I wouldn't have used that comparison, but yes. So you're wearing a banana hammock and you're just kind of slowly. No, wait, no. Getting off base here. It's a full t-shirt. Speaking of banana hammocks, Brian Mattis rehabbing uh, down uh, in the minors. It kind of looked like he should have been back by now, but they've kind of pushed it off. Uh, mainly because it doesn't look like he's doing so well against and minor league shelled. talent. He got shot against minor league talent. So he was getting shot against minor league talent. The question is, should he really be up here whatsoever? And the answer looks to be no, even though TJ McFarland certainly doesn't look like he's the better option. And again, there's nobody else left-handed in this organization. Entire organization. 40-man roster is devoid of lefties. Yep. Uh, next, we have Kevin Gosman. I read that Kevin Gosman's uh, rehab start got pushed back because of the weather. Uh, and really, at this point, 419, the, the 19th of April, when he was originally supposed to be back, doesn't look like it's very likely. Um, any concerns over Gosman? No. I'm not going to be concerned. If you're not going to be concerned about Jones, then I'm not going to be concerned about Gosman. But who am I kidding? I'm absolutely concerned. Looking at the starting pitching right now, it's absolutely atrocious. It's a train wreck. Anybody that just wants to overlook it is, like you, we said earlier, drinking the orange Kool-Aid. Gossman needs to get back into this rotation as soon as possible, mainly to get Mike Wright or Vance Worley out of it um, is the best way to go about it. Um, let's go 140 characters or less this week on the Twitters. Jake, you want to take the first one? First up on this week on the Twitters, we have a tweet from Michael uh, Mitchell Lichtman. He tweets at Mitchell Lichtman. If you ever want to hear a two-minute, completely incomprehensible word salad, listen to the top of the sixth, two outs today, in the Baltimore broadcast. I must say, this is not a unique tweet. I feel like you could schedule this just about every day. But it was a person that had never seen Mike Bordick before on a mass and broadcast. Radio, TV, makes no difference. Just schedule that up, tweet it out. Yep. All right, next tweet goes to our good friends, Orioles Uncensored. You can follow them at O's Uncensored. Uh, this tweet goes as follows. Vance Worley, Vance Refrigeration. It's a solid reference. It's a solid reference. Although uh, we we had a uh, we had a, a tweeter, and I will have to find it and post it in the site later because I don't remember who it was. I had a, a tweeter bring it to my attention that I actually uh, auto corrected my way through Vance Worley's name and came up with Vance Worry, mm. and that has got to be the best way That's the best to refer to yeah. Vance Worley on the mound. Next tweet comes from Jebby Burns. You can follow him at Jebby Burns, part of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Dear hashtag Nats. Dan plus Kim for Mass and Sediment. CC Bird's Eye View BAL. That would, I would definitely make that move in a heartbeat. Does anybody else have to deal with this? It seems like every year there's some rumor about Dan Duquette moving on, some other organization. Like, does this happen everywhere? No, it doesn't. Hey, this is, this is strictly Baltimore being Baltimore. Um, but it was interesting when that rumor came out because I was like, well, that makes no sense in the world. And sure enough, it was 
a rumor that really had no weight or merit and no one really picked up on it. It was just kind of a random tweet of let's stir the feathers of Baltimore and bring them down a little bit after a really good start. Consider them stirred. Yes. All right. Our last tweet from this week on the Twitters this week comes to us from JT Guads. You can uh, follow him at G-W-O-Z-D-Z-I-L-L-A Guadzilla. I'd like if you do that. Three times fast. Not going to happen. The tweet is as follows. Joey Rickard homered before Adam Jones, Mark Trumbo, and Pedro Alvarez. Let's build him a freaking statue and put it out there for him. No, I'm not sure that's the case. It seems to me that maybe we should look into that. Who are the Orioles Mythbusters? Jake English. You know me. I'm a fan of 1960s Top 40 pop. And Scott Magnus. Between them... More than 50 years of Orioles fandom. They don't just tell the myths, they put them to the test. Okay, this is so exciting. A chance to do a Mythbusters segment on the Orioles' early returns in 2016. That's right. Between the fans and the media, a lot of people are drawing conclusions on a small sample size. Though the 6-0 start is encouraging, some of these conclusions will turn out to be myths. But some of them could be reality, right? I mean, I mean, sure, we'll bust some myths, but there's a chance we'll also confirm some as well, right? That is a possibility, yes. Okay, so in true Mythbusters style, the process is just as important as the results. Just like the recently ended show, we will commit to our process here, and that commitment will be the central tenet of these discussions. So, tell me. What tried-and-true, scientifically-founded approach are we going to take to test some of these early-season uh, early myths? Sure. So we're going to try something a little different here, um, but something that has served us very well in the past. We're going to use our f- brains. What's that? That's right. We're going to use our f- brains. We're going to avoid hyperbole on either side, and we're going to assess by use of the rational thought what is real and what is mirage. Wow. That um, that seems sneaky brilliant. So so simple, yet effective. Why don't you think it's a more popular method? Because we really don't know what we're talking about most of the time. There is that. Yeah. All right, myth number one. Let's go to the, the one that's on everybody's mind right now. Hyunsu Kim is not an MLB caliber player. Now, the myth here is based on a couple of factors. And uh, let's just run through a couple of the basic principles um first he's from the kbo which is generally not considered to be anywhere near on par with the playing talent on double a talent (laughs) uh uh, kim performed poorly at the plate in uh in 40 training uh spring training at bats um there were some reports of his questionable defense in spring training uh, it was widely reported that the team asked him to accept an assignment to AAA Norfolk, which he refused. Um, and so far in the young t- 2016 uh, season, he has seen extremely limited playing time. So, Scott, is Kim an MLB caliber player? Who knows? We haven't seen enough of him. Buck obviously has made a determination at this point saying he does not have the skill set necessary to go out there and play. Look, when you're bringing in Ryan Flaherty to play in the outfield over Hunsu Kim, it's an indictment of the manager of how much he does not want him on this roster. Now, as of Wednesday night's game, Hunsu Kim managed to sneak his way into the lineup. And by doing so, he's actually done pretty decent with his plate discipline 
putting up two walks in the process, which is the Hunsu Kim that we were expecting to show some really great plate discipline. Um, but who knows whether Hunsu Kim is a major league baseball caliber player. Um, but it's very interesting that Buck Showalter has pretty has somewhat cast him aside and said, you screwed me. I'll screw you right back. It was really interesting. In one of the post-game interviews in which Kim played in the game, uh, I think it was Gary Thorne asked about him. And uh, and Buck's response was not to praise, but rather to say that he wanted to make uh, Kim feel like he had contributed. He wanted him, He thought it was important that Kim felt like he had contributed. Not that Kim had contributed, not that he had played well that game, but that it was important that he, Kim, felt that he had contributed to the team. It was not exactly a ringing endorsement. No. Here's the thing I, I find interesting about the Kim situation. He's on the team, right? He he had the ability to turn down the assignment to AAA. He's on the team. So really, until I see that he's not ready for the bigs, I'm not really going to judge. The thing is, is that he may have a slow start and be an okay player, or he might not be ready. But I'm not sure that it's really appropriate to go ahead and just assume that he's going to be terrible because the Orioles would have liked him to have started in Norfolk. Yeah, you tried to love David Lowe when he first came into the Orioles, but eventually you saw enough playing time where you're like, I hate this guy. You've not seen enough sample size to make a determination of whether or not this myth is fact or false. So plausible or busted, it's simply non-confirmed? Not enough sample size. All right. Let's go on then to the next myth. Sure. So myth number two, Joey Ricard's hot start to 2016 is indicative of the player he will be all year. And let me give you some of Joey Rickard's ridiculous numbers so far this year. 345 average, 364 on base percentage, 517 slugging, posting a impeccable 369 Woba and a 141 rated runs created plus. Jake, our outfield dilemma has been solved. We've got a great above-average defender, one that basically was able to come in and almost replace Adam Jones, you know, value for value. Uh, um, what else could we really want? This is the guy. This is who we want to be. He is a franchise player. Let's get the statue ready. He's clearly going to be our next Hall of Famer uh, in the in the orange and black. I, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say this can't continue. And it's not because I don't believe in Joey Rickard. It's not because I'm not enjoying watching Joey Rickard play baseball. My goodness, it has been fun. Look, this is the kind of story that we pray for when it comes to baseball, right? This is a Rule 5 draft pick. He had a great spring training, and he is playing some really inspired baseball right now, and he's part of a winning club, right? He has not played a major league game in which the Orioles have not won, right? That's a great story. Yeah. It's just not one that can continue. No, I don't think it's one that can continue uh, one of the ones that I'm some familiar with, again, it comes back to his BABIP, for example. It's at 360. Now, over his career in the minor leagues, he's had some pretty decent numbers in terms of BABIP, but 360 seems like an outlandishly large number. One can't expect that to continue. He will still silvery roll, and he will still have some value. But, folks, I, I, I hate to mention it because it's pouring water on it. But let's look at Jimmy Paredes last year. Again, First half of the season, 299 average, 332 on base percentage. Came out to be a weighted runs created of 118 in the first half. And then the second half, well, I don't need to sing you that swan song, but Jimmy Paredes quickly dovetailed down uh, into the depths back onto the bench. Went from hitting Jimmy to swinging Jimmy. Yep, exactly. So 
again, very small sample size. Can't get too excited about it. But you should just take it for what it is. Getting value for players that are not expected to have that value is something that the Orioles will need to have. And Joey Ricard certainly has given them value during this first week and a half. The question is, how long can that value last for? Yeah. And if he regresses to the mean, how far is that regression? Right. If he starts to regress and he starts, you know, having pop outs and fly outs, I'm sure there'll be Baltimore fans still cheering him as he walks back to the dugout. It's been crazy. Dude got a curtain call. They've been chanting his name like he's Eddie Murray. Look, again, I I like watching him play as much as everybody else. Just, whoa, pump the brakes a little bit. So I'm going to go ahead and call this myth uh, busted. Busted. There's no way that he can continue the way he is. Zero chance. Zero chance he'll maybe be uh, a somewhat productive player, but he will not be at the level that he has demonstrated over this past week. So, Joey Ricard, you're busted. All right, next, let's go on to myth number three. Giovanni Gallardo's velocity thus far justifies the Orioles' concern with his physical. I mean, it is kind of concerning, at least to me. You look at his velocity in his fastball, and it's right around 85 miles per hour. Um, and, you know, he's normally pitched around 90 miles per hour. Uh, that's a huge drop-off in velocity. There's there's nothing else that could potentially indicate why that kind of viscosity would have, or velocity would have dropped besides the whole aspect of, you know, he's obviously got a, an injury. Oh, wait, what's the temperature has been lately for when he's starting the baseball? It's been cold okay so is it possible that the extreme cold weather could have been causing some of his velocity drop eh? you don't think so i mean it's it's interesting to to think that way but is there a huge velocity drop across the board with pitchers in april and the beginning of may i think that that would be something worth looking at if all of our pitchers or or certain pitchers that kind of meet his his mold across the league have also been experiencing a velocity drop. Does, for instance, Gallardo have a history of a velocity drop in the early part, portions of the season where he plays somewhere cold in the past? Right. So interesting story about this, because, of course, I'll have to be the one that brings the numbers. Jeff Zimmerman actually did a quick study about cold weather effects on velocity just this week. And, Jake? Coming back to your point of, is velocity difference a, a significant factor when it's cold? Jake, generally when it is cold weather, just like it is right now, over, let's see, 89% of pitchers lose velocity. And of those pitchers, 17.7% of those pitchers lose over 2 miles per hour on their fastball. Now, that seems to be pretty significant. Now, it's not 5, but I think to a certain aspect, we got to come back and say, we can't judge too quickly based off of this very small sample size and the extreme weather conditions that he's been at. Is it something to note and something to watch out for? Absolutely. But let's not raise the red flag saying there's an injury when there are other factors potentially going on as well. And it's possible that even if his velocity is down, you're saying that the cold might contribute to the point where his velocity might not be down that entire amount that we're seeing. That now. is correct. So it might be 88. I mean, I mean, when he was throwing earlier in spring training, he definitely wasn't hitting 90 miles per hour. He was hitting around 88 miles per hour. I just don't think it's 85 consistently this year. I think it's going to be closer to that 88 to 90, um, but probably closer to the 88 this year, which, again, could still be contributed back to some of the physical issues that the Orioles had. 
but I don't think we need to go, whoa, something is significantly wrong here. Well, the other thing to keep in mind is is look at uh, Gallardo's age, right? Yep. And he's reaching that point where he needs to begin the transition into a pitcher that uh, uses some other skills than velocity. Um, and there are lots of pitchers that at his age can make that transition to being uh, you know, an upper 80s pitcher rather than somebody that had all the velocity. The question is, can he make that transition? And can he make that transition within the demands of a club that's trying to compete. That's something that I, I think is interesting. I wonder if this ties back to anything that the Orioles may have seen in the in the sure. offseason. It's very possible it's much ado about nothing, though. The real question is, just as you've indicated, what are the rest of his starts going to show us? The first one was five innings, which I thought was, you know, he was impressive at times during those five innings, but then he, he ran out of gas and he, he obviously didn't have enough to continue. But you figure, oh, it's his first start. Right. You know, he's fresh off spring training. Then the next one comes through and he, it's starkly obvious that he doesn't have much on the fastball. And you don't have any good to go with the meh. You yeah. know what I mean? And we just have to wait for that good and hopefully we'll get a lot less meh. I think it comes back to the situation, too, is if we're expecting innings pitched from uh, Gallardo, I don't think we can expect that. Over an average of his entire season, he normally pitches like five and two-thirds innings pitched per start. So he's not going to be going deep in games. He's going to get a lot of foul ball, um, a lot of not being able to put away pitches. But again, the concern with this myth wasn't about getting deep in game. It was that velocity drop. And when Dallas Kuchel loses 2.5 miles per hour in the cold... I'm not willing to basically throw it away and say, yep, it, there's something definitely wrong with this guy. So you are going to go out and say, busted. I'm going to say, busted. I don't think that it, it is a concern as of yet. Let's let's bring this myth back up in a future season. Okay. All right. Next myth. And we're going to use the, the word bust in this myth, so we, we're going to have to dance around this. Myth number four, Pedro Alvarez is a bust. At DH. Look, Pedro Alvarez has been absolutely horrible so far this season. Um, 140, I'm sorry, 105 average, 261 on base percentage, 158 slugging. He's not that, you know, power hitter that we would have come to expect from for this team. Now, he is walking at a pretty decent pace, but there's no pop behind his bat right now, which is surprising because he showed that pop in spring training. The Orioles have had a tendency in the past to basically have issues at the DH position as best as possible in order to get value. Is Pedro Alvarez a bust after only 23 plate appearances? Meh. I don't know about that just yet. I think this is the Pedro Alvarez that we would come to expect, which is extreme highs, extreme lows. And he's certainly in extreme low right now. If it continues past, you know, let's say another 50 or so plate appearances, maybe it's a situation where you want to start getting Hunsu Kim into more games and basically batting him as a DH and seeing... Which one can survive on this team? You know, it's interesting because we have a, a mutual friend, uh, Josh, who is a, a, uh, a native of that Pittsburgh place. Oof. And uh, he knows Alvarez from his time in the Pirates. And uh, We'll post his address on the website <laughs> so you can uh, send him some mail. But he, he told us, he said, this is Pedro Alvarez. Yeah. This is who he is. You're going to love him. You're going to hate him. You're going to love him again. You're going to hate him again. It's going to go up and down and up and down all season. I think it's interesting, especially because if the Orioles had managed to land uh, Dexter Fowler, uh, Pedro Alvarez may not have been acquired. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and if he was acquired, he would be splitting time in DH with, with Mark, Mark Trumbo. Trumbo. Yeah, he'd be a platoon, basically. And and I wonder if Pedro Alvarez and, and our... Um, and our impression of Pedro Alvarez would be better if he was in a platoon situation where he was only batting in the situations in which he had a much better chance of success. 
that's something I think is worth considering. You know, is Pedro Alvarez a, a guy who's gotten to a point in his career where he's a platoon bat? You know, he he obviously he plays first base, so he's not going to play first base here. He should not play in the outfield. Right. Is he either uh, a National League platoon bat or an American League part-time DH? Well, he's definitely a platoon bat when he's going against left-handed hitters. I mean, left-handed pitchers. He's absolutely horrible against left-handed pitchers. We really haven't come across too many that he's basically batted against, um, except for, I guess, David Price was one that he batted against. Um, I definitely think he should be a platoon and only hit, go against right-handed pitching. I... Uh, I just don't think we can judge saying he is a bust at this point. I think if before we can call him a bust, he's going to have to have at least 100 plate appearances. Okay, so you are calling this then? Incomplete. Incomplete. Not enough sample size, just like uh, many of these missed will be. Um, but Pedro Alvarez, we'll, we'll see. But Hunsu Kim is breathing down your neck at this point, and that's not a good sign. <laughs> not at all. All right, let's... <sighs> <sighs> Sorry let's go then how do you to, what do you what does that sound like in like korean like when you translate that from korean I, if I, you translate that from korean to english i think it goes something like this <sighs> i believe it's a cognate all right moving on to myth number five uh this offense will cover the starting rotations shortcomings okay so the orioles have basically posted um five runs per game so far this year um which certainly looks like it would cover um, the, let's call it the 2015 Orioles last year and significantly improve their chances of winning several more games. Probably not to the extent of the games that they're winning right now, which is just a great luck of sequencing. Um, but the Orioles look like they're going to score more runs this year than they did last year. And to date, I don't know if I really could say that the starting rotation is much worse than it is last year. It kind of looks very similar to 2015. What do you think so far about the rotation? Yeah, I think uh, I think that we've seen again some rough starts from the starting rotation. It's cold. It's the first couple times through. We don't have Kevin Gosman, right? Um, and without trying to make excuses, what I'm saying is that you're never as bad as you look, and you're never as good as you look. And I don't think that the rotation is going to be quite as bad as we've seen uh, so far. I, I think you're right. You know, remember that this team lost Wei and Chen, its most effective starter from 2015. So it's very difficult to say that this rotation is any better. But I think it might be thereabouts uh, where it was last year, a mediocre at best rotation. The real question is, is mediocre at best enough to get by with this, I would call it improved lineup and the continual excellence of the bullpen? Well, it comes back to the one point that I made, which was look at the Toronto Blue Jays last year. The Toronto Blue Jays had a pretty much abysmal starting rotation. I know they got David Price in that second half of the season, but past that, there really was nobody else in that rotation that had any solid value. So the, the, the Blue Jays were actually able to stay in it all the way up until when they got David Price. And then they went on that run in August and September. And, you know, they basically solidified their division um, pretty much fully. But, you know, I, I think that I've come back and said this multiple times on this podcast is if you can be a, 15 to 20th bullpen or 20th uh you know starting rotation and you've got a really good bullpen and you've got a really powerful offense yeah you could you can compete don't know how well you'll do in the playoffs but you can compete and you can potentially get to the playoffs as a wild card team uh with that kind of bullpen and uh that starting rotation so the orioles right now if they were to continue to bat the way they are they're definitely a potential playoff team the question is how much longer can they hit like this? Because it doesn't seem like it's going to happen the way it's going to happen every single year. It looks like it's going to be, it feels like it's going to be similar to Pedro Alvarez to a certain regard where it's going to be either really high 
or really low games. And the Orioles have a number of players that have that reputation. Chris Davis is an excellent example. Yep. He has not had uh, seasons where he's he's been you know extremely hot for for that entire time. He's he's a bit of a hot and cold player. I think Adam Jones is another hot and cold player. Um, and when you look at at some of the unknowns to us, you know, will Mark Trumbo be the singles guy when he's not hitting home runs, or will he just go cold at the plate? Right. Um, you know, will Pedro Alvarez go cold at the wrong time? Uh, something interesting to, to think about is, remember, there were times in 2015 where the, a, a very good lineup completely disappeared. You know, we joked last year about runners in scoring position. Sure. Unless they were hitting home runs, they were not driving in runs. In this first first seven games of the 2016 season, we have seen them manufacture runs. But the question is, is that going to be their MO, and can they continue that? Yeah, they're certainly not a high-contact team. There are other players that have shown contact this year. Joey Ricard, actually, is the one player that actually has been really impressive in terms of contact uh, percentages. But the entire team is a huge strikeout team. I mean, Davis, Alvarez, and Trumbo are going to strike out a ton. And when you're harder the order is that... Jones and Scope. Yeah, and Jones and Scope, too. Yeah, I mean, it, it just it comes back to what we talked about earlier this season. They're eventually going to get to a point where they all hit a slump at the same time, and it's going to get really ugly really quickly. All right. I, I'm going to have to defer to you because I have to be honest. I believe that my answer, if you if you had to ask me today, will the offense cover the starting rotation shortcomings? I would say confirmed. I think that the uh, that the lineup can do that. I think the lineup can do it. And I think the lineup will do it. It's a question of how often will it do it. So, okay, we're gonna uh, give we're gonna give that a, a week confirmed. We'll give it a week. It's plausible. Week, how about that? It's plausible. We'll give it a plausible from the scientific standpoint. All right, myth number six. Yes, Matt Weeters. Oh, Matthew Weeters should not be the number five hitter in the Orioles lineup. Matt Weeters should not be the fifth uh, person in the lineup. He should probably be the sixth person. I, the one person that really confuses me is I don't understand why Jonathan Scope is batting so low in the lineup. I understand that they want to, you know, Buck wants to have the whole switch hander up there, and, and maybe that helps them from a bullpen standpoint. But, man, if Jonathan Scope's going to have a breakout year, he's going to have to bat fifth or sixth in this lineup. I don't understand the continued aspect of batting him eighth. Jonathan Scope needs to be batting fifth or sixth, especially if Matt Weeders continues to struggle this year. No question about it. It's Jonathan Scope's turn to basically be that breakout player. Um, I'm curious on why Bucky's holding him back a little bit right now and uh, not letting him be that. So we'll see. Yeah, it's interesting to me because I agree with you wholeheartedly that Jonathan Scope uh, should be hitting higher in the lineup. I also wholeheartedly agree that Matt Wieters doesn't fill the profile anymore of a guy who should be batting fifth. No. Um, but let me just say this, playing devil's advocate. Matthew Wieters has six RBIs so far this season and has a walk-off win to his credit. Is it possible that in a team that hits in bunches, Matt Wieters is the kind of guy that hits in enough bunches that he is in the right place at the right time in the fifth hole? He also has a 34.6% K percentage as well. So um, when he does hit, you're like, oh, well, well, that's great. You know, he hits in timely situations, but he also strikes out a lot of times in timely situations yeah the whole thing about it is like if you are in the fifth spot and you've got that many runners on eventually you're going to basically like oh i drove on all these runners look at my rbi totals but how many opportunities did you squander is the other aspect um 
One of the interesting ones that I always like to look at is win probability added, um, which basically looks at a given situation, how often you succeeded or you didn't succeed. So, so far this year, you came back and said, Matt Wieters, you know, six RBIs late in the team, great. But in terms of hitters, in terms of win probability added, he's six on the team for win probability added. J.J. Hardy's above him, Jonathan Scope's above him, Mark Trumbo's above him, Chris Davis is above him, Manny Machado's above him. He's right ahead of Hunsu Kim in terms of win probability added. Meh. Not a person I want in my fifth spot. A person I easily I could see in the sixth or seventh spot. Yeah, and again, in this, uh, again, short 2016 season, he's got a weighted runs creative plus of 45. Oof. I think that Matt Wieters needs to be lower on down the line. And the thing, especially about the five hole that hurts me is that the lineup is so strong and I feel like it's a dead zone yeah. when Weeders isn't, isn't hitting um, in that fifth spot. It just, it just stops all the progress. Right. And I think that a player like you mentioned, Jonathan scope is a much better alternative to keep that ball rolling. Yeah. He brings a lot more to the table of, you know, Oh, I can hit a double here or I could hit, you know, uh, an infield hit sometimes is another thing that scope can pull out. Matt Wieters does not offer anything to me of just an occasional timely hit. And that just comes back to sequencing, in my opinion. Matt Wieters does nothing for me in that fifth hole. And at this point, he really is kind of who we think he is. He, I mean, let's let's keep in mind, you know, again, it's very early in the oh, season, yeah. right? It's, it's very early. And so he's not going to stay at, at 45 weighted, create, uh, weighted runs created plus. God, I hope he's, not. He's not going to hit, you know, 208 all season. Right. But if you look back, you know, over 75 games in 2015, he had 100, exactly 100 weighted runs created plus. And that was one of his better years in a right. while. You know, if you go back to 2013 when he played almost a full season, 148 games, he was at um, was at 86 weighted runs created plus. If you he batted 235. And if you really want to space this out and, you know, you're constantly going against right-handed pitching, then do it scope, weeders, Hardy, and then you've got right, left, right. And I, I don't see any reason why you don't go about doing it in that fashion. Um, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't get it. All right. I don't, I don't get it. So the myth is Matt Weider should not be the number five hitter in this lineup. You think it's much more than plausible. You think that that is, a, is confirmed. That's confirmed. It's fact. Matt Weider should not be fifth spot. I'm sorry. There's no reason for it. It's just silly, silly aspect of Matt Weider's is a power hitter where Matt Wieters does not demonstrate any power whatsoever. So there you have it. Those are the Orioles myths of this early portion of the season. Do us a favor. Let us know what myths you'd like to see confirmed, busted, marked as plausible. Plausible. Go ahead and tweet us at BirdseyeViewBAL with the hashtag OriolesMyth. With that, let's get down into the nitty-gritty with the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's right. It's time again for the good, the bad, and the ugly. As I do so many weeks, I'm going to go ahead and get started so that uh, Scott Magnus, whose rants far exceed the quality of my own, can go last. I'm going to go with my good, and my good for this week 
is Obaldo's first start. Yes, I realize his second start was not as great. We have tempered our enthusiasm. But I'll say this. Obaldo Jimenez had a pretty good first start. He pitched into the seventh inning, which is something nobody else has done. And this is something that we're going to occasionally get from Obaldo Jimenez. Sometimes he's a train wreck, and sometimes he's a pretty good pitcher. And when he's a pretty good pitcher, it doesn't look pretty, and it's tough to watch. But for that one game, Obaldo Jimenez was good. So my hat is off to you, sir. All right, my good for the week is going to go to one that is going to be pretty much constantly at the top of this list. Manny Machado is already putting on an MVP-like season in, in just a very short sample size. For as much as people want to talk about Joe Rickard, um, Manny Machado is absolutely destroying it right now and needs to be given attention by the Orioles fans. Uh, just going through his numbers, 414 average, 469 on base percentage, 759 slugging. These are you know ridiculous numbers. And I realize it's only over 32 plate appearances, but the dude is raking it out there right now. Manny Machado. Yeah, he's amazing right now. Just good. Ho-hum. Ho-hum, yes. But yes, Manny Machado, good. Now, take that back. He's very good. All right, next we're going to go to the bad. My bad for this week, Maryland weather. What the heck, Maryland weather? It's opening day. Don't you know what to do on opening day? The skies are supposed to be beautiful. It's supposed to be dry. It's supposed to be warm. All right, you disappointed me on opening day. It rained. We sat through a lot of rain delay, or... I guess, waiting for rain delay in some cases. But we sat through a lot of rain delay on opening day. And then it was cold and dreary and and just cold. Maryland weather, not a good week for you. You are bad. All right, for my bad for this week, I'm going to go a little unconventional here. And I'm not going to do so much on ugly, but Michael Givens has been a little bad lately. And the reason he's been bad is he's been hit by the Babip Dragon. Um, I think we all are aware so he has had some command issues, but Jake, his Babbitt for the past four games that he's been in is 625. Yikes. Yeah. I mean, th- he does have an issue with the walks right now. 4.15 walks per nine. Um, certainly a higher number, but it certainly seems like balls are falling pretty much in the wrong places right now for him. Michael Givens, you know, he certainly looked like he's had a little bit of that sophomore slump coming up for this first week. But I'm really encouraged just looking at, you know, some of the velocity and the arm angle. I don't know how long he'll stay up here because I think he'll get Norfolk shuttled eventually pretty soon. Um, But Michael Givens is something that I think is going to have a big ramification on this team uh, for the entire season. So Michael Givens gets my bad, but it gets my bad because of the situation that is going on with him right now. Fair enough. I I will accept. It's unconventional, but I'll allow allow it. All right. My ugly for this week My ugly for this week is going to go to a select group of Orioles fans. And this select group has already been called out by Adam Jones, but I'm going to say it again. Orioles fans who boo their own on opening day as that player comes down the orange carpet, that is ugly. That is incredibly ugly. It was uncomfortable to be there while that was happening. And I feel so bad for the guy with some of the quotes that have come out since then saying he's just trying to get the fans to stop booing him. That is not a good look. Orioles fans. And I realize, you know, people are frustrated because he's not what they had built up in their minds that he was going to be. And people have called him selfish because he didn't accept a a trip to AAA. I think that's crap. Fans who boo their own players are ugly. Period. Totally agree. Uh, My ugly for the week is going to go to Major League Baseball putting out this ridiculous 
ridiculous apparel out there for Mother's Day and Father's Day, Memorial Day, and Fourth of July. Look, it, it's always a little bit of a train wreck, but it's a huge train wreck to do it all at once and put it out there because it just makes them look like fools. Jake, I know you saw the Mother's Day stuff, and I know you saw the Father's Day stuff. In any world at any time, would you ever buy that, have your wife buy that for you? Nope. So what is the reasoning behind, you know, Major League Baseball putting out there? The only reason is to put merchandise out there to basically hope to get some kind of sales. What's wrong with going out on Memorial Day and just wearing the typical garb and just experiencing it and paying tribute to the military on the field? The, the uniforms are just an absolute train wreck. I don't know how to explain it besides that. It's a money grab. It's a cash grab. And it just looks disgusting. And it makes the game look tacky is the best way to put it. If you're going to do a money grab like that, make them look good. Right. Exactly. Make me want to buy them. It just looks tacky. And especially that also that 4th of July one with like the flowers in the background. It's just horrible. Major League Baseball, I, I don't know what you're doing, but you need to get your style back on and if you're looking for style you can always contact us here at bird's eye view because we'll help you out with the perfect bow tie i'd like to point out that it's you going at the sports aesthetics uh angle on this particular podcast and not me that's that's usually my area and and uh i just want to point out that you have you have lowered yourself to sports aesthetics i've taken this mantle on all right do we want to blow the save i do want to blow the save this week all right well let me uh let me give you some music to come into and we'll go from there You know, a lot of times, blowing the save on this program, we ended on a low note, so it has a negative connotation, but this week I just wanted to say, I am so glad that baseball is back. I have really, really enjoyed Orioles baseball in this past week, and and it's not just because the Orioles have been winning. Don't get me wrong. That's very nice. It helps. Please please keep doing that. Even though they're probably going to lose after we record this podcast. I've really enjoyed baseball, and the, the thing is that I've enjoyed everything that's gone along with it. We had a great day on opening day yeah. right? with friends, family. It was, a, it was a fantastic day. I love having something in the evening to do again. <laughs> it's, it's nice. My wife and I watch baseball together. My son and I listen to baseball together on the radio. I also love being incredibly nervous and pacing my living room or driving home from work nervously as I listen to the wrap-up of an afternoon game. Baseball being back in Baltimore, the magic of Orioles baseball, it's just incredible after a long off season and a stupid spring training schedule so my blowing the save this week i'm really trying to soak it in and enjoy baseball and i hope everybody else is too so the transformation has been complete the transformation has absolutely become complete all right and i'm actually glad also too in terms of opening day that we did not ruin matt taylor's marriage that that was good for us as well i hear it was uh, i hear it's a little dicey a little dicey wow i think they'll survive with that Anything else going on in your world, Jake? I think now that we've wrecked Matt Taylor's marriage, I have nothing left. Uh, so, Baltimore and Beyond. So, oh. you're saying there was a roar from the Taylor house? That's the story. <laughs> Baltimore and Beyond, I will bid you a fond adieu, adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there, and let's go O's. So seriously, can we do this next Monday? I think so. Okay. We don't have to keep doing this Wednesday, right? Oh, God, no. Okay. Didn't we used to do this on Wednesdays? I don't know. That was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. Yeah. 
don't listen to episode one. Check out episode one. It's terrible. It was Wednesday. Still here? It's over. Go home. Go.